Welcome to the Legal Download Podcast, a rundown of the latest issues impacting your business from Kelly Good afternoon, and welcome to this episode of the Legal Download, where we'll be discussing grand juries and investigations. My name is Matt Luzadder. I'm the managing partner of the Chicago office, and I practice in the area of compliance and internal investigations, as well as labor and employment and commercial litigation. I've got two great panelists with me today. Uh, first, I've got Mark Pohl. He's the president and founder of the Pohl Group. He's a former federal agent. He's going to share with us some of his experiences in that role. Uh, I also have with us today Jamie Nowaday. Uh, she's my partner based out of um, our New York office. And before joining Kelly Dry, she was with the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York. She's going to share the prosecutor's aspect um, on some of this and also from, from the defense attorney's side of things. So you'll get a well-rounded discussion here on grand juries and investigations. So welcome, guys, to the, uh, to the podcast here. Thank you. And also I wanted to add that Mark and I have worked cases together as well. First, when I was in AUSA and he was an agent and more recently on the defense side and defending companies against criminal investigations. So we might be drawing on some of our shared experiences today as well. That is uh, terrific. I think, I think we're going to have a great discussion here today. Go ahead, Mark. Uh, no, just uh, thanks for having me today and uh, look forward to the discussion. I think uh, Jamie and I will be able to provide some uh, some good insight into this particular topic. So I'm looking forward to it. So let's start out here with talking about a grand jury. And Jamie, most attorneys know that a grand jury is presented with evidence behind closed doors, but that's about it. Can you give us the nickel tour of what a grand jury does? Well, that that really is the heart of it. I mean, a grand jury is like a regular jury, but out of the public eye because it is an investigative body. It authorizes investigations, it subpoenas documents and testimony, and ultimately it decides whether a criminal indictment should issue. So the the grand jury gets the the behind-the-scenes look at the prosecutor's case before it's charged. And Mark, can you give us a glimpse of what what role do agents play in, in a grand jury? Right. So agents, you know, are essentially uh, an investigative arm of the grand jury. Uh, grand jury proceedings are criminal in nature. So uh, agents come from a variety of backgrounds and, and agencies that they work for. And then uh, through the authorities provided by the grand jury, uh, they conduct their investigations using tools uh, that they provide. So what are, what are some of those tools, Mark, that, uh, that, that they're going to bring to bear in investigation? Well, some of the tools at the grand jury, um, you know, when agents conduct these investigations, uh, sometimes when it's necessary to compel testimony or to compel uh, the production of records in, in furtherance of that investigation, uh, the agents will work in, in concert with uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office. And uh, Jamie and I had, had worked together in government before. And uh, so essentially that you form a triangle between the U.S. Attorney's Office, uh, the agent in charge of the investigation, and then uh, the grand jury provides tools like grand jury subpoenas to compel uh, the testimony of a witness uh, to obtain uh, documents that are essential to that investigation. And uh, also, uh, you know, I think a key ingredient is that the proceedings in the grand jury are secret proceedings. So uh, it's a good tool for the agents because uh, we can compel a witness to testify and uh, the accused or the subject in this case wouldn't automatically know who it is that's testifying against them. So that's also an important part of the grand jury. 
And just to add on to what Mark was saying, agents also, I'm sure Mark has done this many times, testify themselves in the grand jury, because in the federal grand jury, hearsay is is appropriate and can be considered by the grand jury in considering whether to approve an indictment. So often the agent will be summarizing other witness testimony, witness interviews that have been previously conducted, how the agent conducted the investigation, and can sort of summarize the whole case for the grand jury and is put on as a witness by the AUSA. So Jamie, let's flip sides here. Let's say a company gets a grand jury subpoena requesting documents. What's their first step in the process? The, the first step would be to just find out what's going on, both in terms of what the government is looking for and what your client, the company's role is. So is it a witness? Is it a subject? Is it a target? Witness, obviously, is you know the, the area where you have no exposure at all. You're a third party that the government is not looking to charge or even potentially charge, is just looking for information from you. So that's the least complicated category to be in. If you're the target, you're the direct focus of the investigation. And if you're the subject, which is the largest category and is where most people fall early on in an investigation, the government essentially is still making up its mind about where to put you and thinks you may potentially have exposure. So when you get a subpoena, it's likely that you're in the subject category. But what you want to do before just responding to a subpoena is find out more information. Call the agent uh, who issued the, the subpoena or maybe may on the subpoena or a cover letter. Um, see if they will talk to you. A lot of times the agent may just refer you to the AUSA. Um, and, and Mark may have a view on that as well, whether he engaged defense counsel directly or would kick the conversation to the AUSA. But I would initially try the agent. Um, sometimes you have very chatty agents who will tell you a lot about what they're looking at, their view of the case, their view of your client, um, and then have a second conversation with the AUSA, and then also do some due diligence on the AUSA as well. Find out, you know, civil or criminal, in this case, if it's a grand jury subpoena, it would be criminal, but what unit the AUSA is in, uh, the AUSA's reputation, all of that can help inform your early strategy in the case. Yeah, I, I think I would echo uh, one, one uh, statement there by Jamie that, that I think it is a, a good recommendation uh, as counsel for a defendant or, or a, a, a subject in an investigation to, to call the agent that's listed on the subpoena or uh, provided a card at the time the subpoena was served. Um, as a matter of practice, I mean, uh, for me, I, I would rarely speak to defense attorneys who called um, and would refer those attorneys to the U.S. Attorney's Office to have a conversation attorney to attorney. But as Jamie pointed out, agents are all different. Cases are all different. And in some instances, agents will provide you with additional details that can be uh, important to the defense of your client. So let's talk about when the agent calls on you. Uh, Mark, we know that interviews are conducted during an investigation. What are their purpose and why do agents always show up so early? Right. So, Matt, I think uh, most of my uh, agent colleagues uh, in the past and, and current, we, we did, as a matter of practice, try to conduct interviews early in the morning. Um, you, might, uh, you might think, well, you know, that's kind of a, uh, you know, not a very nice thing to do to show up early on somebody's doorstep. It might alarm or even scare them if they have dogs and dogs are barking. And we're used to those environments. Uh, they may have kids that are uh, getting ready to go to school. And so, you know, it's kind of a hectic situation. Um, but what, what we have found from a practical standpoint is that if we don't engage with, uh, with our uh, either subjects or witnesses to try to conduct these interviews in the morning, 
it becomes very difficult uh, to try and either track them down at their place of employment, which can be a very awkward situation, um, or to try to find them at lunch or even in the evening uh, to disrupt, you know, their dinner or something like that. So, and, and agents are off usually, you know, you're, you're off at 5, 30, 6 o'clock, not that agents don't work late all the time, but, um, you know, it's just much more practical situation to catch them in the morning so that evening activities, whether it's band classes or sporting events, they come into play, don't delay the investigation. So I, I think it is pretty common practice. And I think if you think that you may be interviewed uh, by agents on a particular matter, it, it would not be surprising for me uh, if those interviews occurred in the morning before it is uh, that your day uh, took off, whether it's, um, you know, going to work or, or starting your day. So Jamie, if, if an agent shows up on my doorstep, do I invite him in? Do I chat with him? No, you, you certainly don't invite him in. Um, what you should do is step outside and always be polite and respectful, but you don't want to have any substantive conversation with the agent. There's really no upside for you as the individual to do that. It might feel slightly impolite, um, or there might be a tendency to think, well, if I just speak to the agent for a few minutes, I can clear all this up and they won't bother me again. But that's, that's not likely to happen. And the risks of speaking with the agent are you know higher than most people think. So what you should do is step outside, ask the agent for his or her card, and explain you'd be happy to to speak with them, but you would like to have your your counsel present, and that your counsel will be in touch. And that's really all you should say, because the risk is if you proceed to talk, and the agents may say, you know, we have just a few questions. It won't. This will only take ten minutes. But even if you don't really have any exposure or you think you don't have any exposure, you can end up saying too much and contradicting yourself. You can fall for some sort of uh, trick question, even though it may not be you know, designed to be a trick question. It could just be an awkward question or poorly worded. But the answer that you give sounds a bit incriminating. And then you're stuck with that. The agent's taking notes of everything that you say. And then you might be handed a subpoena at the end of that interview anyway. And then it can sort of force your hand as defense counsel in terms of whether to bring uh, that individual in to talk to the government. Maybe you would have taken a pass and you would have you know, asserted the fifth, your Fifth Amendment if uh, initially when faced with a subpoena of your client. But now that the statements have already been made and you don't know exactly what was said and you only have the agent's notes, which you're not privy to, you might feel compelled in that case to do a bit of cleanup work. So it just it becomes a much more complicated defense strategy once you've already spoken without counsel to the agents. And so you, you then kind of have to make moves you maybe wouldn't otherwise make, and you're just not starting with a clean slate as a defense counsel. So I, I, I would say there's, there's no upside. So Mark, let me ask you this about agents and, their, and questions. Do agents ever go out to interview somebody with the aim of catching them in a lie? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the short answer is yes, uh, that does happen. But I think I would have to caveat that answer and say that's not the common practice. Um, I would say, you know, in some in some situations, um, the agents are going to go wherever it is that the evidence leads them. And in some cases, if someone is intentionally lied to an agent and and taken the investigation off track and that lie is is later documented, then then uh, charges can be brought. Um, in other instances, uh, the government, I was involved with the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force for about 10 years. And in other instances, especially in the national security area, you know, the government may have superior information about the activities of someone. 
uh, and that information may have flown from an intelligence uh, ga uh, gathering device. And so uh, those types of um, uh, those pieces of information that come from those sources are not readily usable in court and oftentimes aren't usable at all, even if you request a declassification of that evidence. So uh, in some instances, if, if a subject like that were to lie to federal agents about activities that involve things in, on a national security matter, um, the, the agents may elect and the government may, may elect uh, to approach and to document a lie as a strategy to uh, to pursue prosecution against someone that they already know are engaged, but, but can't prove in court or can't use evidence in court of the activities that they're actually involved in. So let me ask this as a, as a sort of wrap up question here. We know that investigations take a while and sometimes it's not always clear if they have a, a resolution. Um, can witnesses or subjects or targets know if an investigation is going to end without charges? Often, often not. Um, many investigations sort of die this quiet death, and that can be unsatisfying to clients in a lot of cases because the clients may want clarity and closure, and then that can lead to a back-and-forth dialogue with the client about wanting a status update from the government, but at the same time, you don't want to you know, wake a sleeping bear. So generally speaking, I'd say if you hear nothing at all for six to 12 months in a fraud investigation, you're more likely than not probably in the clear. But I'd say just generally, because if the case is very complicated, the gaps can be long between uh, contacts from the government. And since COVID hit, I think this time frame has definitely been lengthened as well. And so we are seeing government investigations very quiet now for as long as a year and then resurfacing again. But I'm also interested to hear what, what Mark would say in terms of this, you know, wake the sleeping bear concern, if that's happened in his experience. Yeah, thanks, Jamie. I, I would add on to that, that I think um, on, the, on the agent and government side, uh, there are a lot of things that go on behind the scenes in terms of an investigation. And a few things that come to mind right away for me are things like uh, agents tend to transfer locations. And so uh, sometimes AUSAs move from their position to a different, maybe from a civil to a criminal unit, or they transfer out and, and go into private practice. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts that oftentimes happen uh, that that allow, that cause the government to sort of lose momentum on a case. Uh, the other thing that happens, uh, shifting priorities. And so the government's priority uh, this year may be immigration, uh, but in the coming years, it may be something else, white collar uh, crime. And so uh, the the importance and you know the steam behind the type of case that's at issue will change over time and and these these things do impact it, uh, those those factors and so you know I would agree with Jamie that it, it it is a little dicey I think my recommendation would be if there have been long gaps uh, I think it's better to sort of live with a bit of unknown rather than to call and kind of stir up potentially a hornet's nest by inquiring about the status of a particular case. Mark and Jamie, great advice. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Legal Download. Join us for a follow-up episode on search warrants. Uh, more episodes can be found at www.kellydry.com or wherever quality podcasts are found. Uh, at that same link, you'll find more information on Jamie's practice and links to helpful materials should you or your company find yourself on the receiving end of a government subpoena. Learn more about Mark's work and The Poll Group, LLC, at The Poll Group, that's P-O-H-L group.com. Also at Poll Group on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. For additional information on this and other topics, 
please visit kellydry.com. Kelly Dry has podcasts available through your podcast provider.